Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband. Here with my friend at the Ruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachi Kedushin, Daf Samach, page 60. Well, we have two Mishnahs here. I'm going to start with the first Mishnah. I just want everyone to pay attention. There's a very lengthy passage before the Mishnah um, that really starts on the previous daf of a discussion of sort of a machlokas between Rav and Shmuel and Rabbi Yochanan. Uh, I'm not going to read it because it's actually a pretty detailed and, and difficult passage, but just pay attention to some of the formulations of how they're thinking about how consecutive Kedushim would work and also the difference between the termination of marriage through get and the termination of marriage through death. Um, I think there's just a lot of sort of like meta concepts being discussed here about marriage, divorce, death, and either the initiation of marriage or the severance of marriage. Um, so just pay a little bit of attention to those, not a little, a lot of attention to those trends. Um, I but I just, I, your Dan, I want to jump in. I just had one quick thought I wanted to mention. I think that for my Western experience, my American Western experience, it's a little tricky to think of um, of marriage as so like locked in that the, like the, the, it's such a, this is the way you get out of it, right? And you're talking about what's the concept here, that it seems just such a, a formal um, entrenching of a relationship, let's say, because I think that at least in my experience growing up, divorce was very common and 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 easy, relatively easy. I don't mean that for the people involved. I don't mean that people had an easy time getting divorced. I mean that the process of going through an American divorce is not a difficult thing to get, right? Pardon the pun. So I, I think that it's like a, a new way of like to to poke how we think about the dissolving of relationship, um, not that death dissolves it, but I, I think that that's like I, I, in in taking your instructions of like let's think about how you know what the concepts are here. I think that's part of what's going on or what we want to be thinking about. Yes, I I agree with you, and I I think that's exactly the way to think about it. Um, there's a you know it's it's this is kind of a meta discussion is what I would say because obviously no woman's having kedushin with a hundred men, right? But this is. It's really getting conceptual about what do all these relationships mean? How are they started? How are they ended? Um, but now let's go to this Mishnah. Ha'omer li'ishat. Somebody says to a woman, right? So here we're talking about sort of a type of conditional condition. You're betrothed to me on the condition that I give you 200 zoos. So it's a valid condition and he has to give her that money. If he says, on the condition that I'll give you the money from now until 30 days, right? So the law is, if he gives her the money uh, within 30 days, uh, then the Kedushin begins. But if he doesn't give her the money, there's no Kedushin. So see, there's a, there's a difference with the language there, and that's what's important. If he says that, you know, there's Kedushin here because I have, on the condition that I have 200 zoos, right? Right? There is Kedushin as long as he has that 200 zoos. On the condition that I'll show you 200 zoos, it's Kedushin, but he has to show her the money. Right. But if he's a money changer and he shows it to her on the table, a she that that Kedushin is not actually uh, valid. And the reason for that is, is because a money changer basically makes his money 
by, by, you know, having money around. And it's not clear that that money actually belongs to him. Um, and so the Gemara is going to begin with the discussion amongst the Amoraim of Itmar Rav Huna, Amar Behuyitain, right? What does this phrase mean of Behuyitain? He, sh- he should, he gives her the money. And the point is, wh- when does he have to give it to her, right? So, because the Kedushan would only take effect sort of retroactively once he gave her the money. Uh, so that's what he's saying. Behuyitain means he should give it to her, right? Whenever he wants. It means when he gives her the money. So it doesn't have a retroactive effect. And then the Gemara from there is going to explain what these two views mean. Rav Huma Amar right? Rav Huna says, and he should give her the money. Tanai Habe means it's a stipulation. It's that's the condition of the condition. Mekayim Tanaba Azil. So the 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 man who's betrothing her, he can fulfill the condition, and then the condition kicks in retroactively. Rabbi Huda Amar right? Rabbi Huda says that when it, it's that what it means is when he gives her the money, It only takes effect from when he gives her the kedusha. There's nothing retroactive that happens. So, but now, right when he does his first act of kedushin, right when he says hare at um, uh, it, it does not take effect. My what's the difference between these two opinions? Right. So the difference would be in a case where she extends her hand and accepts, you know, the Kedushin from another man before the first person who made this, you know, you know, said, I'll give you 200 dues, actually gave her the 200 dues. According to Ravuna, that second man, it can't be a valid Kedushin because there's this possibility of retroactive Kedushin. And according to Rav Yehuda, it could be Kedushim, right? And so this makes sense. The question is, wh- what happens to that period of time between when he states his intention and the 200 uh, zoos are given? Is that, does it retroactively become that they were married or is it only a going forward? And that's essentially what the Machlokas is. And then the Gemara from here is going to continue to discuss this. They have a parallel case with Gittin. Um and, uh, 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 you know, but, but again, it's, 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 I think all of these, the theme to me here is that there's sort of a, uh, you know, this is conceptual about marriage. When do these relationships begin? Okay. And, and when do they end? I think it's an important question, you know, in terms of how we think about this altogether. I want to jump to the end of the, it's not quite the end of the daf because there's another Mishnah, but before that, not the second Mishnah, there's, more Gemara on this Mishnah, citing Almanacha Tain Lach, sorry, Almanacha right? So this was a, it's really Mikan Ve'elach, right? 30 days. It, it gives that condition again. And we discussed this kind of concept in the in the practice of betrothal before, right? And so in this case, right, the, the we have the case where the man says to the woman, you're betrothed to me on the condition that I give you thus and such, in this case, it's a particular sum of money, right? From now until 30 days, meaning if he says from now, so this is already a difference than if he just says 30 days, right? The question is, does the betrothal kick in right away or does it kick in after the 30 days? So the Gemara here says, Pshita, it's obvious. What does it mean it's obvious? It's obvious that the, right, the, 
that the betrothal will take effect if he's made that condition and she accepts it, right? Then the betrothal can take effect. Why do you have to have this as a teaching? Why do you have a separate case for this? love So the Gemara says, well, that 30 days thing isn't really a proper condition. It's not really a condition. Really, he's giving himself a deadline so that he's motivating himself, right? To get himself moving. Um, so that he can show that, like, he really means it. He's really going to, the betrothal is going to go into effect. And so he's really going to provide the money and everything like that, right? Meaning it's showing, therefore, therefore it teaches us, right? Like that the, the time period here, this 30 days factor becomes essential to the betrothal, even though it's not a condition in the normal way. Meaning the condition in the normal way, you don't need a separate case. But even if he only said it as like a prod to himself to actually like get going, right? To make sure that he he provided her with the sum, then it still counts enough that it needs a separate case to say that yes, in fact, that has to take place. Next, the Gemara goes on to say, and it's really quoting the Mishnah, right? On the condition that I have 200 dinar. Now, if he already has that money, then that then she's betrothed, right? But if not, then she's not betrothed. And so now the question is, what what kind of what kind of statement is this, right? Venechush shameyeshlo. Somebody says, well, let's let's think about this. Let's assume or let's worry about, not worry like worry like let's treat this in the case of you know yes she he has this money. Meaning maybe you know there's there's a the point is that you you can't cancel out that betrothal unless you have some firm proof that he doesn't have that money. But how could you have firm proof? that he does or does not have the money, right? Like if you can prove that someone has something, you can't, it's hard to prove that they don't have it. And likewise, we have this brighter that says, in fact, we, we are worried, like, again, not worried, but lest he actually have the money and the betrothal goes into effect. So then it, you don't cancel that betrothal. So the government says, look, Asha, it's not difficult. Why? Ha, meaning our Mishnah, Bikidushe Vadai. That's what we're talking about, a definite betrothal. We're talking about something that, was, you know, clearly going through. It's not that he failed to show that he had the money or something like that. Ha, bekidushe safek. And the other case, meaning that breita, where it all, it confirms this kind of question, says, no, there you, it's not clear. And so you can't knock it aside completely because you don't have proof that it's, that he doesn't have the money so that the betrothal might be in effect. And that's a, obviously a much messier case. Okay, one more. So the guy says, um, you're betrothed to me on the condition that I show you 200 dinar. Now, okay, I'm not sure why this would be a condition, except for, again, we're like, how how minimal does the commitment on his part, what does it need to be, right? He's going to show her something. It's not that he has to own it. It's not that he has to give it to her. Tana lo kavna ela lirot mishalo. That only makes sense, says the, it's really citing a Tosefta, that um, it only makes sense if he's talking about the money that is his, right? Not that he's like, what, going to show her in a mint or in a store or somebody else's? So if he shows her money that's like just lying there on the table and it's not clear that it's his, right, then that is not betrothal in this case. The says, Pshita, well, that's obvious, right? The whole point is that she wants to see his money. 
We need this case to teach the Afalgav the Nakat the May Biska. He says, even what if he was holding somebody else's money because he's you know involved in some business transaction and someone said here, you know, you're the holding the collateral or something like that. So then the money that does not belong to him, he he's got it, he can show it to her, but that's not the condition. And it's interesting to me how much kind of backstory is presumed um in this kind of case where obviously, right? There's this obviously undercurrent of we know what this woman would have wanted to see and the conditions such as he spelled it out is not precise enough because it needs to be his money because what would she care about the fact that he's holding somebody else's money? Like there's no, you know, there's no nothing in it for her, so to speak, in the context of a betrothal. And so it doesn't count as a betrothal, you know, again, assuming that nothing further is stipulated beyond these terms. That's that's the Gemara, you know, that's the end of the Gemara on the Mishnah Yerdena that you've read. I'm going on to the next Mishnah, um, and with that we'll close. It's a short Mishnah. Almanat, it's, again, more cases, right? Almanat sheyeshli beit kor afar. So the man says he's going to betroth the woman on condition that he own, right, um, land in the amount of a beit kor, right? That's a measure of, I guess, of area. So that would work, right? Meaning, Vieslo, as long as he has it. So likewise, if he says, if I have land in thus and such a place, and then indeed he has land in that place, then the betrothal goes into effect. And if not, not, right? He says, I'll show you this bait core, this amount of earth. Then she is betrothed. And he will show her, meaning it has to, uh, the question of what happens in what order is interesting here. But the implication is that, yeah, of course, that will be a betrothal. However, if he shows her land in the valley, meaning look over there, there's the valley, right? The field that's not his, and it's all amongst other fields. It's not It's not that it's um, the specific land that he owns, then there's no kidushin in that case. Um, we're going to stop here. Obviously, the Gemara begins to pick apart this Mishnah. Yeah, and again, I think this parak seems to be very theoretical boundary pushing. Like these, I mean, I, I, I could see how some of these are, you know, if I give you this, then it's Kedushin. But notice there aren't cases here. No one's bringing in cases yet. And I think that's really one thing I'm sort of taking away when we sort of talk about boundary pushing versus, you know, actual practical when does the Gemara bring in cases? And we're just not seeing the cases here yet. Right. I think that's true. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.